there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. All this talk of liberation, it's, it's all the rage today. You noticed, even, it's, even on Oprah Winfrey now, got these classes everywhere you look, all over the internet. There's a Course in Miracles exercises, there's a, the New World exercises, the Oprah Winfrey exercises, the Dr. Phil exercises, the Judge Judy exercises, you know, all these new exercises. Everybody's crazy about liberation. From what do you wish to be liberated? You know that 90%, 99% of the people who respond to from what do you wish to be liberated, wish to be liberated from what is painful, what is unpleasant, what is distasteful, be it person, place, or thing. And that pretty much is going to sum up what this world wishes to be liberated from. What the people in this world wish to be liberated from. They wish to be liberated from the unpleasant, the painful, the distasteful, the disagreeable. We don't see that when we leave the window open for fresh air, we also get bugs. See, it's not just fresh air that comes in. It's everything that is born on that fresh air that also comes in. And we think, well, isn't there a way to screen out the bugs? And so we put screens on our windows. And if you've ever noticed, when you take a screen off your window, more fresh air comes in. When you put a screen on your window, less fresh air comes in. So yes, it does filter some of it. But a screen, for a screen to work properly, it would have to be, what, 0.5 microns to really keep everything out that you don't want in your life. And this we would call liberation, but then you're living in this screened environment. You're living in this clean room, as it were. Well, that's not so bad if you can really pull that off, if you can do that consciously, if you can do that with awareness, if you can do that with attention, if you can do that deliberately. As long as we ascribe anything to ourselves, we're identified with it, and therefore we're saying I to it. Anything? Yes, as long as we ascribe anything to ourselves. Well, what about the good things? Yes, as long as you ascribe good things to yourself. You're identified with it. You're saying I to it. And that is going to bring with it its opposite. Inner separation is a technique developed only by practice. When the work finds us, we have very little power or no power of inner separation. We have no ability to separate from our internal states and our moods. If we're angry, we're angry. We express it. If we're depressed, we're depressed. We can't be anything except depressed. We have no power or very little power, to separate from an eternal state. Is this, was this where the work found you? Yes. Okay. We have no idea that it is saying I to everything. What's it? What do you mean it? What's, what is it saying I to everything? It. Your machine. Your machine is saying I to everything. No, it's not. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's saying I to everything. Well, what does that actually mean? The work says that we're in a state of sleep. Now, people hear this, that we're in a state of sleep, and they're unable to see how it affects them. They don't believe they're in a state of sleep because they can't see how it affects them. If they could see how it affected them, they would readily agree, yes, I am in a state of sleep. And if they could really see it, they would say, yes, it is asleep. 
and I think I am it way too often. Sleeping people take themselves as one, saying I to everything, ascribing everything to themselves as if they were doing it, as if they were doing it. I had this realization last Wednesday night. It was an incredible realization, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But you see, if we're saying I to everything, bugs are still coming through open windows. And the bugs are thoughts, feelings, moods, sensations, and their resulting actions. When we say I to everything, it's like throwing all of the windows and doors open and just letting anything come through the house. And then we say I to whatever comes in. Well, this is, this is my house. It's mine. Well, that's mine. What's that? That's my malaria. What's that over there? That's my thief. What's that over there? That's my disease. What's that over there? That's my whatever. Because it's in my house, so it must be mine. Because uh, it's my house. It's all me. The work says that realizing our reactivity, our mechanicalness, is the first step toward liberation. And it says that liberation is inner freedom and individual evolution. Inner freedom. What does that mean? It means that nothing that I don't want to happen will happen to me. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean the removal of unpleasantness. It doesn't mean the removal of painful things. It doesn't mean the removal of distasteful people from your life. It means that you become free from identification with those things, that they no longer have the power to make you react, that they no longer have the power to act like the strings on the marionette and make your hand jerk or your foot move or your head twist around or your mouth go. That's what it means. It's totally different from what we think liberation is. When we're fixed in our illusions, we serve pitiless nature. What is pitiless nature? I won't tell you what it is. Pitiless nature is, I saw this one time on an animal show. I used to watch these animal shows, Animal Planet, and these programs until I finally got sick of watching pit pitiless nature deal with the members of its society, the members of its kingdom. And there was this baboon, and it was the head baboon of this troop. And uh, of course, there's always a younger, stronger baboon trying to overcome the older, wiser baboon. Well, one day, this younger baboon kicked the tar out of this older baboon and kicked it out of the troop. So here's this baboon that has spent its whole life in this troop, had cared for everything in this troop, cared for the baboon that kicked it out, cared for all of them, protected all of them, led them all to food, led them all to water, led them all to safety. But this day, it got beat up and kicked out. And they followed the old baboon until he finally just dies alone, all beat up and dies from his wounds. That's pitiless nature. Let me tell you another thing pitiless nature is. You see these little baby sea turtles being born and they have, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of them. And they are born up in the sand. Their, their mothers crawl up in the sand and they dig holes in the sand. They lay their eggs and then they leave. And the, the turtles' eggs hatch in the sand. And then the turtles scramble out. They, they dig their way out and then they head for the sea because the sea is where they're going to be safe. But as they head for the sea, all these birds come down and they start to just pick them up and eat them alive. You know, chomp, 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 and here's all these little turtles being eaten alive. That's pitiless nature. It does not care. It does not care. It has no pity for the young, no pity for the old, no pity for the infirm, no pity. It is pitiless nature. When we are asleep, we serve pitiless nature. Well, what do you mean? What I mean is we have no concern for the nine out of ten people that we are murdering in Iraq on a daily basis. 
that are civilians. We get one soldier, we get nine civilians. We have no pity for them because we serve pitiless nature. Why? Because we are asleep. Why? Because we will not admit that we're asleep. We will not come to terms with the truth about ourselves. That's why. So we live according to the law of the jungle. And what do we call the law of the jungle? Collateral damage. Can't be helped. These people needed to get out of the way. Not our fault. It's just collateral damage. So we become the voice for pitiless nature. We identify with ourselves. And this is the greatest illusion of them all. Identification makes us think everything is due us. Everything is due us. We deserve to have everything. We are the, the, the pinnacle of creation, the pinnacle of consciousness. So everything should serve us. Everything should bow down to us. Everything should do what we want them to do. This is what comes from this idea of identification when we identify with ourselves. We think that it all comes from us. We think that it's all due to us. We think that everything is owed to us. And so we live in internal consideration. Inner separation brings us into a different state. Would you like to serve something besides pitiless nature? Inner separation is the key. See, there are a lot of I words. I know there are iPods and iMacs and iTunes, and, but there are a lot of I words in the work. And some of the I words are not so good. I, 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 me, mine, I, 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 I say I to everything. That's not so good. But some of the I words are good. Inner separation is a good word. Internal is another good word. Inner separation brings us to a different state, a different way of seeing ourselves, a new idea about ourselves. If we could see ourselves differently, we could behave differently. If we could see ourselves as one with the people that we're trying to subjugate, and we call that liberation. You know, did you know that what we're doing in Iraq is liberation? We're liberating those people. We're liberating them from their homes. We're liberating from their, from their possessions. We're liberating them from any peace they might have had, any happiness they might have had. We're liberating them from any wealth that they may have been able to gain. We're liberating them from any sense of safety or self-determination in their own lives. That's what we're doing. Now, is that wrong? No. No, that's not wrong at all. That's exactly what we should be doing. That's exactly what sleeping machines should do. And what about all the other sleeping machines in the world? They're doing exactly what they should do. They're serving pitiless nature. Now, for you, do you want to serve something higher? Because you don't have a choice of serving pitiless nature or serving nothing. Your choice is quite simple. You serve pitiless nature or you serve something higher. Now, if you don't like that, then you can go back to sleep and back to serving pitiless nature and pretending that you don't, living in the illusion that you're doing it all yourself which is fine. But we have to ever be reminded by the work that our everyday state is wrong. It's absolutely wrong, up and down, through and through, backwards and forwards, it's wrong. But we don't like that. That doesn't feel good, so we don't want any of that. We want to be liberated from what is painful, from what is unpleasant, from what is distasteful. And so, everybody offers us that liberation. You don't have to do this, you don't have to do that. You can have everything you want. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was reading on the internet the other day. I was absolutely amazed. On one hand, you have the secret, which says you can have everything you want. And on the other hand, you have Eckhart Tolle, who says you have to get rid of your ego. Uh, how do you reconcile those two things? Are you ready for this? I found the answer on the internet. <laughs> the Sedona method is the bridge between those two things so that you can have everything you want, get rid of your ego, and not be attached to it. It's like, okay, I'll pass. I've already done that. And guess what? It didn't work for me. 
I found that I still would cling to what I wanted. I still got attached, and the more attached I was, the more I thought I was it. So yes, I got rid of my ego. I became a car. So you heard of my mother, the car. Well, it was your friend, the car. I, or I became a house, or I became a, became a job, or I became this, or I became that. I became whatever it was I was identified with. I'm not sure that's the right direction. It wasn't for me. From this total sleep, the work tries to arouse us. It is the beginning of awakening. Here's the thing. You have no thoughts of your own. You have no feelings of your own. You have no sensations of your own. What is your reaction to that? What is, the, what is it that comes up in your mind when I say, you have no thoughts of your own? Hello? Oh, yes, I do. Aha! Oh, yes, I do. What about, you have no feelings of your own? Well, who's are they? <laughs> That's hard to believe. That's hard to believe. That's right. You have no sensations of your own. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Wrong. Exactly. And yet, that's what this work says. You have no thoughts of your own. You have no feelings of your own. You have no sensations of your own. And we've got to be reminded by this on a daily basis. All of these thoughts and these feelings and sensations come to us mechanically, and we give them power by ascribing them to ourselves, identifying with ourselves, by saying, oh, yes, I have. Whose feelings are they then? Well, how did that happen? And so we are identified with, our, with the thoughts and the feelings and the sensations that happen that blow through, that come in the open window. But I just wanted some fresh air. How did all this other stuff get in here? <laughs> One of the things Connie just, I just dusted. How can everything be so dusty in here? I don't know. Actually, I do know, but nobody cares what the answer is. So I don't say. And that, more often than not, I find, is what wisdom dictates. Wisdom dictates silence. Because when I say, you don't have your own thoughts, all you do is resist with more of your own thoughts. When I say those sensations are not yours, all you do is resist with more sensations that you call yours. When I say those feelings aren't your feelings, all you do is resist by being more negative about it. Nobody's going to tell me whether I feel this or don't feel that. That's right. Nobody's going to tell you. And so wisdom dictates silence more often than not. You'd be surprised what I don't say. You'd be shocked. You'd be appalled. You would be enlightened. But that's not what we want. We don't want to be enlightened. We don't want to be liberated. We want to have what is painful, unpleasant, and distasteful removed from our lives. That's what we want. And that's what we call liberation. And that's what we call enlightenment. Remember that I said that I had a realization on Wednesday night? In our Wednesday night group, someone talked about being raised in a fat family. They said that everybody in their family was fat, except maybe one or two or three people. But everybody was fat. And it was okay to be fat. That at school, this person got teased for being a fatty. But at home, it was just fine. It was okay. There was no problem at all. Everybody in the family, in the extended family, they were all fat. And it was okay. But outside the home, it wasn't okay. And the comfort that you had from life's slings and arrows, the people who didn't think it was okay for you to be fat, was you could go home with all the fat people and eat and feel all comfortable together. And then set up this pattern that if I don't feel good and life's not giving me what I want, then I should go and be with fat people and eat. And I started to think about that. I went, wow. So I called my mother up. I was talking to my mother. And uh, I said, well, how's Brian? Brian's one, one of my younger brothers. His dog died and, and he was upset because his dog died. Because he prayed that his dog would live and his dog died. So he was mad at God. And he, he, this is a couple months ago now. He's still depressed. And another one of my brothers, even younger than Brian, Brian is kind of like the middle brother, and then I have two younger brothers. One of the, the, the youngest of them all bought Brian a new dog. Same kind of dog, very expensive, German Rottweiler, 
and bought him a female puppy. And I said, well, that's great. You know, to my mom, how's Brian doing with that? She goes, well, you know, it's not Rocky. I said, no, that's right. He wouldn't give up his misery and his depression, would he? She, she started to laugh. I mean, she just roared. She said, no, he wouldn't. I said, as a matter of fact, none of us would, would we? She laughed even more. She said, no, I guess not. And I said, was there anybody in our family who wasn't depressed? She said, no, my father slept all the time. Then she went on and on the list of people who were depressed in our family. Everybody I've ever known in our family was depressed. So I come from, this person came from a fat family, but I, I realized I came from a depressed family. That what my family did best was be depressed. And I thought, well, that's why depression is so familiar. That's why depression is so comfortable. That's why depression is like food. When you're depressed, you're at home. When you're depressed, everything's great. When you're fat and people are making fun of you for being a fatty and you go home with your family and you eat, everything is just the way it should be because it's the way we were trained. It's the way we grew up. It's what we acquired when we were young. And so we don't know how to get rid of it. We don't know how to get free from it. See, I moved 3,000 miles away from my depressed family. I couldn't stand the dark cloud wherever they went. We were living in a sunshine state and it was always cloudy. I moved out here and, and it took a while, but... I started to finally see, you know, my addiction to depression. And as I saw my addiction to depression, I thought, well, you know, there is another way. <laughs> there is another possibility. I met other people who weren't depressed. What's wrong with you? I tried to heal them, you know, <laughs> with a laying on of clouds, <laughs> laying on of fog, laying on of depression, you know. Don't you know that if you can be happy in this state of affairs that you don't know what's going on? You see, what I realized is that I'm not depressed, and she's not fat. It's depressed, and it's fat. It's depressed, it's full of self-pity. It's full of arrogance. It's full of whatever it is. It's full of fear. It's full of anxiety. It's full of whatever. It is full of it. What is it? It is this machine, this mechanical process that I acquired by being raised in the family I was raised in, being raised in the country I was raised in, being raised in the state I was raised in, being raised in the city I was raised in, being going to the schools I went to, having the teachers that I had. I acquired it all. It, 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 it acquired it all. And I keep saying I to it, claiming it as my own, nailing it to myself. And this is what we will do without insight. Without insight into ourselves, we will continue to take mechanical reactions and say I to them and ascribe them to ourselves. We need insight into ourselves. We need to see who and what we are. We need to see what it is doing, what it actually is, and to separate from it. And this is called that I word, inner separation. Inner separation. Sincere, uncritical self-observation of the dark side awakens increasing dislike of what we presently are. Well, what the, wait a second now. I don't understand that. If we're going to accept everything and just accept everything then how can we dislike something? Well, it's easy. Just dislike it. How else would you change? How else would you give up this for something else? What's the point? If the point is just to accept life as it comes to you, then just have a lobotomy. That answers that. It's all done. Boom, in one simple operation. Then you just sit around accepting life like a zombie. But no, you're created as a self-developing organism, which means you have to develop from where? From where you are. To where? To where you're going. Where's that? I don't know. But it's not here. It's not in this madness of identification with everything that blows in the window, with every thought, with every feeling, with every sensation. It's not there. How I know that is by the moments that I've been free from that. 
And those are better moments. And you know that too. Wonderful. I don't like myself. Now what? What hope have we? Is there an I word for when we see our weak, lazy, narrow, vengeful, suspicious, hurtful, deceitful, inadequate side? Is there an I word for that? Is there something to do about that? What happens when you see what you have acquired in this life? That you see that you are far less than what you are expected to be when you start to hold up a higher standard. What kind of higher standard? Well, the Ten Commandments, for one thing. Or the Beatitudes, for another thing. Or the laws of the land. Well, try one. Thou shalt not covet. Well, let's try a different one. <laughs> about the thou shalt not kill. Okay, well, anyone who hates his brother is already a murderer. Oh, well, let me see. Let me, how, about, um, how about thou shalt not steal? Okay, well, then I know you've never taken credit for anything you haven't done. Oh, well, maybe there's something else. You see what I mean? There's an inner to all of the outer. There's this outer thou shalt not kill, but there's this inner. Well, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. There's this outer thou shalt not commit adultery. There's this inner. Don't mix the light with the darkness. Don't mix one side with the other. You know, let the light shine in the darkness and dissolve the darkness. But don't try to mix them together. Don't adulterate them. Inner separation, that's the I word. Not ascribing all of those things to yourself. It's not denial. It's realization. See, people think it's denial. Oh, no, that I don't have that. No, that's, that's I saying I to it again. That's not it. That's not inner separation. Inner separation is separating from it. It, it is not me. I am not it. I am not that thing. I am not that thought. That is not my thought. That's a thought that came in. That is not my feeling. That's a feeling that came in. As long as we ascribe anything to ourselves, we're identified with it, saying I to it. Good or bad, it doesn't make any difference. It's identification. Identification is the problem, not the good or bad. We're not able to change when we are it. If you are something, you can't change it. You can only change it by not being it. Remember the example of Patty sitting on the chair? He said, pick up the chair, Patty. She couldn't pick up the chair. Get off the chair and pick up the chair. She got off the chair, she could pick up the chair easily. When she was on the chair, when she was it, she couldn't pick it up. She got off the chair, she could pick it up easily. This is the same thing. When you're identified, you can't pick yourself up, you can't change yourself. When you stop identifying, you have access to the ability to change yourself. What we say I to, we can never change. At first, everything is rough and violent as we start off in this. Formatory apparatus says, Either this is true or that is true. Either it's this way or that way. Look, just give me a plain answer. It's kind of like the question we had this morning. You know, well, if, 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 this is, if the work says this and if you say we attract everything, but the work says that we have to accept these things, then how, either this is true or that's true. Give me a plain answer. Just tell me which is true. That was really the question. And the answer is they're both true. And see, in life, sometimes something is true and sometimes something is false. Sometimes something is good, sometimes something is bad. That's how it actually is. Now, we know that when we're not identified with something and we're looking at it, but when we're identified with it, we can't see it. Because we know that something has to be either good or bad. That's it. Common sense is the mechanical side of the intellectual center. It thinks in opposites lacking the third force. Common sense depends on itself. It doesn't depend on anything from outside itself. It depends on itself. The people who have the most common sense and who trust most in their common sense are the most obnoxious people because they go around telling everybody else what they should have done. Well, I would have never done that. It doesn't take any common sense to do that. Any, company, any fool could figure that out. They're totally identified with their common sense, which means formatory apparatus. This is right, this is wrong. And it's totally mechanical. 
There's a place for the Ten Commandments carved on tablets of stone, but to reach higher, internally deeper, we'll need a ladder set on the stone. Yes, it's good not to kill. It's good not to take an axe and hit Rex over the head with it. It's good not to take a brick and hit somebody with it. It's good not to kill. That's good. But it's also good not to murder in your heart. But nobody knows. Nobody can see that. I got the portrait of Dorian Gray hidden back there. Nobody sees that except you. Not everything is stone in this life. There are finer elements. Thoughts are finer than actions, and they can rule over actions. Yes, thoughts can rule over actions. Well, how? You said we don't have any thoughts of our own. That's right. I said we don't have any thoughts of our own. I said that none of the thoughts that blow in through us as we open the windows and the doors, that none of the thoughts that blow in on the fresh air are ours. But that doesn't mean we can't select some and identify with some if we choose to. What if you only identified with higher thoughts? What if those were the only thoughts you identified with? What if those were the only trains you rode? What if you rode trains that were at a totally different higher level, not even, that didn't even stop at this station, that you had to actually climb the ladder and get to a higher level or inside, deeper inside, more internal to yourself? And you found trains there that ran on a higher track, on a finer fuel, with a better clientele. Would you go there? That's what this work offers. But you have to climb the ladder. You can't just sit down here in this train station riding the old trains that you've always ridden, saying I to every stinking negative thought you have, saying I to every defunct feeling that you have, saying I to every sensation that you don't like, and expect to reach a higher level. There's something for you to do. And it's not just listen to me say it. Thoughts come to you. When you say I to it, you enter it, giving it power over you. You don't have to do that. Let me read to you from Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. And after he called the multitude to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which going into him can defile him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. The disciples then came to him, and they questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Yes! Count me in. I'm lacking in understanding also. Why? Why do I say that? Because I always have room for more understanding. So am I lacking in understanding? Absolutely. Do you understand? Absolutely you understand. There's no lack in understanding for you. You understand. No, I don't understand. I don't know. I'm lacking in understanding. Which means there's room in me for understanding. But if you understand, there's no room in you for understanding. That's why I say the best questions are the asked questions. Because those are the people who take a risk by admitting that they don't understand. He says, Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated? And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, all as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So what does this mean? Thoughts come from outside of us, but when we own them and make them our thoughts, we manifest from them. Have you ever thought that someone owed you something? Have you ever tried to get them to pay? Because you owned that thought, because you took that thought, yes, I'm owed, and you made that thought your own, and you said, I think you owe me. You then manifested an action according to that. 
It was what came out of you that defiled you, not what came into you. What came into you was just a thought. What came out of you was your thought. Do you see the difference? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. That's what this work is talking about. That's what, the esoteric, that's what esoteric Christianity talks about. That's what all esoteric teachings talk about. Negative thoughts enter us continually. If you haven't sealed off a workroom inside yourself where you can go three times a day, at least three times a day, you will not separate from evil thoughts and moods. Unless you make a place inside of yourself where you can seal yourself off from all the crud that comes blowing through, you're going to say I to those things. You're going to think that they're yours, and you're going to manifest yourself from them. You're going to create your life from those things. You're going to create your world from those things. This is creating something new in yourself when you seal off this place. And what it's creating is the work in you. When you identify with an evil thought, you act from it because you are it. If you don't identify with it, you don't act from it. Do you see that? If you're not identified with it, you don't act from it. Well, how come you're not upset? My dog's not in that fight. If your dog's not in the fight, it's not your fight. Don't identify with the dog. And you won't identify with the dog fight. And if you don't identify with the dog fight, there's no need for you to get in it. You do not make your thoughts. They blow through the playground of our minds like trash carried by the wind. It's pride that makes us say we think for ourselves. Any kind of thought can enter you. Any kind of thought can enter you. Some thoughts are useful, and there's a need to separate from others. Just that simple, people. Some thoughts are useful. Fine. If this thought will take me where I want to go, fine, I'll ride that train of thought. But if this thought is going to take me to the same old place, the same old familiar fat people, the same old familiar depressed people, the same old familiar thieves, the same old familiar negative people, the same old familiar gossips, I'm not getting on that train. That's not my train. This is what we have to decide. We make thoughts ours by ascribing them to ourselves, saying, I thought this, I think that. When we ascribe everything in our life to ourselves, we are asleep, asleep in life and asleep to ourselves. When we perceive our thoughts come to us, not from us, we can either identify or not identify. We see we have no real will, only the resultant desires of shifting eyes conflicting within us. This is when we begin to awaken from sleep. This is when we lose the life idea of ourselves and make room for a new man to be born in us through inner transformation. This work leads to something. It leads to you being totally, completely, absolutely transformed from the person who you now think you are to a creation that you know nothing about that you can only vaguely imagine. So just take the next step higher. And the next step higher is to not take the old train. I'm not even saying take the new train. I'm just saying don't take the old train. Just don't take the old train. Wait until you see where the trains are going. Pick a higher train of thought. Pick something closer to the work. Pick some better eyes. Pick something closer to the esoteric teachings. Pick something higher and it will take you higher. It must take you higher. It's the way it works. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you'll go to solidrockvista.com, to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.